Pastor Man, good to see you. Amen. Yeah, brother. Cheryl is not with him. She is back in Texas. Good to see you, man. Taking a little detour um, from Psalm 88 right now. And we're going to talk about uh, character here in the book of Joshua. Last Sunday, I had a meeting after church, and uh, we met with the singles and the unmarried who are having their first event today after church. Uh, just for a few minutes, they're going to feed you and love on you, find out who you are, and uh, begin to build momentum for Seek 33, the single ministry at Strong Tower. And so we met with them after church last week, had a great time of prayer and and just uh, vision casting. <clears throat> and then uh, I, I left there and I went to a comic book store because I like comic books. And so that's part of how I chill and come down. I don't golf. I do comic books. And so I'm in a comic book store in Nashville. <laughs> and um, while I'm looking through the comic books, a man that I've never seen before comes up to me and, and he says, have you heard? He said, Kobe Bryant died. And so I grabbed my phone and I tried to find out what was going on. And uh, many websites were crashed. And, and so information was limited. And then as the day went on and more information came um, that he had perished in a helicopter crash with his daughter and seven other people who were a part of his basketball team. And they were taking a flight to a game. And uh, just devastating, just devastating. Um, shook the world because Kobe Bryant is a global person, not just here in America. And so um, many people have been grieving his death. And, um, and as I began to look at many of the tributes that were going on this past week and to see that after he retired from basketball about three or four years ago, how he was reinventing himself as a businessman, uh, as a mentor to other NBA players, but above all, as a father to his children, being able to spend more time with all of his girls and, uh, and just watching how much he was investing into his daughter, Gigi. And one of the things that had encouraged my heart in the midst of all of the pain, was that before he got on that helicopter, he and his daughter went to church. Now, he's Catholic, so he went to a Catholic church. And, uh, and I know there are some evangelical Christians who think that there aren't any saved Catholic people. What a self-righteous, bogus uninformed statement or belief to have because I know some Baptists that ain't saved. <laughs> I know some Presbyterians, some Pentecostals, and Charismatics. So it ain't about where you go to church necessarily. It's about who you know. And uh, to know that they went to church on the day that he died, they died. Um, it just encouraged my heart to say to men, 
Be like Kobe Bryant. Take your family to church. Don't send them. Lead them. Because that's what leaders do. Leaders lead. They lead in business. They lead other NBA players. But above all, you lead your family. And I know there was some news circus that wanted to bring up things from his past. Um, and I'm sitting there saying, wait a minute now. Uh, that's under the blood, is it not? Um, and, and these players live their lives in front of everyone. And if our things got out in front of everyone. Um, but I was just seeking the kind of mercy that Amber Geiger got when she killed a black man. When the whole black, well, not the whole black community, but a lot of people from the black community forgave her. The family hugged her and loved her. And when I see people from the white community not extending the kind of grace to a Kobe Bryant for sins he committed in the past, it makes me wonder what kind of God they serve. Uh, I know you don't want to say amen to that, but you know, it's just the way that it is. There's an inconsistency there. That when a man uh, has passed and his family is grieving, to pull out things from his past to try to discredit him and discount him. But that's why grace is so powerful. That's why God's mercy is so good. Because it's not about what man says. It's about who God is. And I believe that when I get to heaven, I'm going to see Kobe Bryant and his daughter there with the Lord. So today I just want to talk a little bit about leadership. If you permit me, just let me talk a little bit about leadership. Because there are people who have seen his example, and they are being encouraged to spend more time with their children. There are people who saw his example and his friendship with um, LeBron James, where there are people who don't like LeBron. All of a sudden now they're saying, I need to at least accept LeBron because my hero Kobe accepted him, so I need to lighten up on LeBron because the man's example was noteworthy and worth following. And so that's what leaders do. Leaders are men and women of influence. Leaders, they aren't born. They aren't made. Leaders become. Leaders aren't born. Leaders aren't made. Leaders become. You become a leader when the need for leadership arises and you step into it to serve. Let me run that back again. When a moment that calls for leadership arises, you become a leader when you step into that situation to serve. And out of your serving, you lead. Because the greatest leader of all time was the greatest servant of all time, Jesus Christ. So if you're going to be a leader, you have to be a servant. And so leaders, they step into situations that require leadership, and they serve. A leader steps up when others step back. A leader steps out when others step away. The best ability of a leader is still availability. You make yourself available. God does the rest. He works through you. He works with you. He works in spite of you all that he may get the glory. So leaders, they aren't born, they become. Leaders are people who seize the moment. To be a leader, you don't have to find the moment. 
the moment will find you. And not only will that moment find you, it may end up defining you. So no matter what scale you lead on, if it's global, national, international, thousands, hundreds, or as Pastor Jerry said, a small group starting with your family, um, it finds you. And you must seize the moment because leaders are men and women who the moment finds them. And when it does, they seize the moment. As I mentioned, ability, availability is the best ability in leadership because when Isaiah saw the Lord and God asked the question, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Y'all see that rich theology? Whom shall I send? Who shall go for us? Because the God we serve is one in essence, yet he is plural in person. It's the mystery of the Trinity. And Isaiah, after seeing the glory of the Lord in the temple, which was a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus based on John chapter 12, he sees Jesus and the angels, holy, holy, holy. God asks the question, who's going to go for us? And he says, here am I. Send me. Use me. I don't have what it takes, but you do. I'm available. And leaders are men and women who just make themselves available, just like Esther did for such a time as this. When your moment comes to make a difference, seize it. When your moment comes to make a difference, to lead, to become, seize it. To seize the moment will require courage. To seize the moment will require faith. To seize the moment will require obedience. It will require self-sacrifice. Three things will happen when you seize the moment. To step in, to step up, to step out, to be a leader. Because you make yourself available. Three things are going to happen when you seize your moment. You will save lives. In other words, people's lives are going to be changed for the better because of you seizing the moment. Secondly, you're going to honor God because you know it's not about you. It's about God using you. And then thirdly, you will leave a legacy. Your works will outlive you. Outlive you. Um, you will touch lives who will touch lives who will touch lives. There will be a legacy. And this morning, I want to talk to you about a leader scripture who embodied this in terms of seizing the moment um, this person because of this person's obedience and courage we are here today partly because of this person I'm about to talk about today we're here today partly because of this person's ability to seize the moment when it was presented God used one woman doing something simple to push a nation forward into its purpose. One woman who made herself available. One woman who seized the moment when it was presented to her was used by God to push a nation of people into its purpose. She was an outsider. She was an outcast. She was a foreigner. She was a sinner, but she was also brave, wise, strategic, compassionate, and a converted child of God. 
If you'll let me this morning, let me talk to you a little bit about Rahab. Let me talk to you a little bit about Rahab or the proper pronouncement, Rahab. And let's call this message today, Seize the Moment. Father, help me preach, help your people to hear, help us all to apply. There's a leadership vacuum today. The blind are following the blind. People are falling into ditches. People are afraid to speak up and speak out. To go against the sway of the land. People are conformists. They're not rising up to lead the way you've called each and every one of us to lead in our own right. As we do our best to make disciples in this church, Lord, I pray that we'll make disciples who make a difference. Who make a difference by seizing the moment that is put before them in their families, in their communities, at their schools, at their jobs, wherever, that they will seize the opportunity and the moments that are presented to them to rise up and lead. Thank you for this word in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing I want you to see today is Rahab saved lives. We're in Joshua chapter 2. Just a little bit of background before we read a couple of verses from this passage. The nation of Israel has been handed over to the leadership of Joshua. Moses has passed. He dies at the age of 120, full of strength, but his season is up. And now the mantle, the baton, has been handed to Joshua to lead the children of Israel into the land of promise that God had promised to the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, over 400 years prior. Now is the time. And so before Joshua goes into the land, he sends two spies into the land. They haven't crossed over uh, the Jordan just yet. And so he wants to send spies in because the first city that's there is a walled city called Jericho. So he sends two rather than sending 12. Because the last time 12 spies were sent out, he was part of that number. And 10 of them didn't uh, do right. It was just he and Caleb that did the right thing. And so Joshua learned from the Moses generation, we don't need all that, just give me two. And uh, he sent two faithful men in to spy out, to survey the land. And when these men went into Jericho, this walled city, these are Canaanite people. They go in and they go, of all places, to a harlot's house. <laughs> they go to a harlot's house. And, and I'm asking myself, like, why would they go there as they begin to survey the land? You can kind of think in a way, in a barbaric way, that she knew a lot of men. She knew a lot of soldiers. She knew their inner thoughts because they would convey things to her. So they're going in, and they go to her house. I don't know if that's why. But it seems to me that going to the house of a prostitute Hmm, don't take this wrong, was ordained by God. 
because something good is going to happen at that house because something good was happening in the inside of the woman of that house. She was changing because of the things she heard about Yahweh, about Jehovah. And so God intersected the lives of two spies and a prostitute whereby they would end up empowering each other saving each other. That's why I got to see that God was operating in this where of all the places they would stop, they would go to her house. And her house was on the wall. Remember, Jericho was a walled city. So they go to her house, which was on the wall, and word gets out. So as much as you think you're keeping it secret, the word gets out about what you're doing. So the king hears that there are spies in the land who had come to Rahab's house. So this is where we pick up at verse 4. Because the king sent a delegation to Rahab asking her about the men. But the Bible says in uh, Joshua chapter 2 verse 4, it says, Then the woman took the two men and hid them. So she said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they came from. And it happened as the gate was being shut when it was dark that the men went out. And when the men went, where, where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. So we set all that up to say that when you seize your moment, you're going to save some lives. And she saved the lives of the spies by hiding them on her roof. And not only did she hide them on her roof, you thought me talking about a harlot's house was uh, complicated. She lied about their whereabouts and said they left when they were up on the roof hiding under the stalks of flax. And this woman, as we're going to see in a moment, is honored in the Bible as being a woman of faith, a great woman. But she lied. And God tells us not to lie. So how could God use a person that lied honored the person, and then used the lie to bless Israel. Because somebody said, Pastor, please tell me that I can leave up out of here and lie. <laughs> no, I'm not saying that. The Bible isn't saying that. What do we have here? We have a situational uh, thing going on. Under military reasons, it's okay to lie to your enemy. You don't want to tell your enemy your whereabouts because you're trying to keep the commandments. No, God tells us to be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. You don't tell the enemy what you're doing if you're being interrogated. So people in situations like this, they have permission to lie. Just like you lie when your wife says, how does my hair look? <laughs> yeah, okay, all right, y'all, y'all. Yeah, that's a situation. You, you may not. Anyway, how did this, how'd that chicken come out? That new recipe that I tried. And 
You got to count the cost. Is it worth it? <laughs> Sometimes you got to kind of. Anyway, uh, she hid the spies, and then she lied about it. And then the Bible says she's going to let them down out of her house by a rope. Look at verse 15 of chapter 2. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was on the city wall. She dwelt on the wall. So it was time for them to leave. So she lets them out of the house with a rope. And before all of this goes on, uh, they, they, they kind of begin to talk. And she says to them, I have heard about your God. He is wrecking havoc in our community in, in Jericho. Because we heard what he did at the Red Sea. We heard what he did to the Amorite kings. And the people here are shaking out of horror because of your God. And so what she's saying is, I acknowledge your God as the only God. To the point where I'm going to work with you because I know that you are walking with God. And I have enough wisdom to know where the winning side is. So I helped you by hiding you and lying for you. Now I'm helping you out of my house and I'm telling you where to go. Go up into the mountains and stay there for three days. And the search will end and you can go on to your, your uh, battle compartment and tell Joshua what's going on. So she gave him wisdom and she's like, I'm giving you all this stuff. What you going to give me? The first quid pro quo in scripture. <laughs> and it's righteous. And she says, uh, if I do this for you, what you going to do for me? Look at verse 17. Bible says, so the men said to her, we will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you have made us swear, unless when we come to the land, you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. You let us down through the window. And unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household to your home. So what they're saying is, you saved our lives, we'll save yours. Because when we come in here, we're going to destroy everything. But we'll save you because you were used to help save us. So we're going to work together, Israelite, Canaanite, but both coming to Jehovah. And so they said, uh, we'll give you life, but, but here's what you got to do. You got to hang something in your window. You let us down on a rope, but take this scarlet cord we're about to give you, put it in your window so that when we come against the walled city, because your house is on the wall. We'll see, let me help you visual learners out. You're going to see this scarlet cord. I made this by myself yesterday, arts and crafts. <laughs> Took me about two hours. Uh, hang this out of your window so that when we come in, we'll see the sign and we'll pass over your house. Above all, God will pass over your house and have mercy on you because of your faith in him. So they make this deal, and she saves the spies, and then she's also going to save her family because when the spies leave, they go back and they 
talk to Joshua after the third day, by the way. And when you see third day in Scripture, it usually speaks of something going on like a resurrection, new life, power. So three days. And I love the fact, and I'm going to hit this in a moment. This just wasn't like a black cord or a white cord of all colors. Scarlet? Just hold on. We're going somewhere with that. So the spies go, and they talk to Joshua, and they say, Joshua, they afraid of us, man. They scared. Everywhere we go, people are afraid of us because of our God. And so there's some things that happen in the later verses and chapters of Joshua where that generation has to get circumcised at Gilgal because, again, if they're going to walk with God, they got to be obedient. So they circumcise that generation, and then they cross over the Jordan at flood stage. Then they come to Jericho, and God gives Joshua the battle plan. And Joshua has to tell the people the battle plan. And the battle plan is this. You're going to march, and you're going to shout. What else? <laughs> you're going to march, and you're going to shout. Matter of fact, you're going to march around this walled city with the Ark of the Covenant one time every day for six days. Then on the seventh day, you're going to march around the city seven times. Y'all not going to say anything. Now, if I was in the army and Joshua came with that battle plan, I might have been like, bruh, that ain't going to work. Because when you walk with God, there's a thin line between being spirit-filled and being crazy. There's a thin line. Because sometimes God will download stuff into you to do that you've never seen done before, and it doesn't make human sense, but he tells you to do stuff. Everybody thought Noah was crazy until it started raining. And that's a crazy plan. And God says on that seventh day after you've marched around it, you're going to shout. And when you shout, the Bible says God's going to knock the walls down. They're going to be flat. And then you'll be able to go in. In other words, God's saying, I'm going to fight this battle. Just like the Moses generation went through the Red Sea on dry land, I'm going to fight this battle. I just brought you through the Jordan on dry land. Now these walls are going to come down by themselves because you've been obedient and you shout it. So that was the battle plan. So they go away, and that was the plan. Now, again, the word was put this in your window so that when we come back, we know not to harm you. And so the Bible says she called for her family, and all of them came to live inside of her house. Again, I got to use my sanctified imagination because they were probably estranged from her because of her profession, her job, being a prostitute, being a harlot. What father wants his daughter selling her body to make money? And so there was probably a brokenness in their relationship, much shame. But because Yahweh was touching her heart and changing her life, she said, uh, I want to save my family. I want to reach out to them. So anybody that was attached to her and in her house ended up being saved. But what if there were just a couple of relatives who were a little self-righteous, a little super religious? Uh, I'm not going into her house. You know what she does. You know what she used to do. I ain't. Well, you stay out there and die. I'm coming up in here. 
because she's inviting out of a pure motive, and I'm coming. Not to condone her behavior. I don't know what her lifestyle is like, but I still will show love. I will show love. So they come into the house, and they're saved. Look at chapter 6 of Joshua, verse 22. The Bible says, but Joshua had said to the men who had spied out the country, go into the harlot's house, and from there bring out the woman and all that she has as you swore to her. And the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, and all that she had. So they brought out all her relatives and left them outside the camp of Israel. So she not only saved the spies because she seized the moment, now she's saving her family because they're in her house. And this reminds me of the Underground Railroad because there would be escaped slaves trying to go to freedom and there would be these houses along the way that they would stop in and be hidden in in order to go to the next station towards their freedom. And what those conductors did who were white people, they broke the law of the land because they submitted to a higher law, which was God, which was against enslaving other human beings because everything that's legal ain't right. So we answer to a higher one than the president. So we're going to use our home. We're going to sacrifice. So black folks, let me say this to you. I love you. But don't you broad brush your stroke and throw all white people and say all white people are this and all white people are that. Throughout our pilgrimage, God has always raised up and used white people to help us in our journey towards freedom. They were in a remnant. It was a small group, but they were there. So for me today, I roll with a remnant of righteous white folk <laughs> I'm just trying to keep it real with y'all. Because sometimes the broader society makes me wonder. Because just like during slavery, they professed to know God as they enslaved, raped, hung, and everything else to my people. They professed to know God. But there were some who were abolitionists who said, no, we're not giving into this system. Everybody's not doing it. And when I see stuff going on today and they put Jesus' name on it, it's like, what God do you serve? But then I look at the remnant, and I say, thank God for righteous white folk. Just like I hope y'all say about us. You may not say it out loud, but you say, man, thank God for righteous black folk, because you look at some of us and be like, but anyway, 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 man. Hey, I'm just keeping it real with you. But to be saved, you had to be in her house. You had to, you had to be in her house. Now, the wall falls flat, the Bible says in verse 20. The people shouted with a great shout. The wall fell down flat. The wall falls. But isn't her house on the wall? So everything fell but her house. And everybody that was saved, they were in her house. Because the sign of the scarlet cord protected them, not even from the Israelites, but from God. So when we go to Exodus 12 that we read for communion today, when I see the blood, 
I'll pass over. Putting this outside the window was a picture of the blood of God, the blood of the lamb. So she was saved by the blood. She was saved by the scarlet rope. And those who were attached to her, they were saved. Oh, my. Thank God for this woman. She not only saved lives, but she honored God. How did she honor God? She honored God by believing in God. In Joshua chapter 2, verse 9 through 11, I mentioned she had talked about the fame of Yahweh. And when we come to James, James says that it's not enough to just believe. There has to be some works that accompany your belief to show that your belief is for real. We're not saved by works, but works prove that we're saved. That's what Pastor Jerry was saying during the offering. Does our lifestyle match our profession? Because a lot of people profess, I prayed a prayer, but I don't see any change in your life from the prayer you prayed. Now, again, we're all in process and fruit comes at different times, but we should all take inventory because if you prayed a prayer to meet God, there ought to be something about God rubbing off on your life. You can't stay lost. You can't stay in the old way. You, because if anyone be in Christ, he or she is a new creation, the old has passed away and behold, everything's becoming new. Ought to be something different about you since you met God for yourself. You haven't arrived, but so, you're not the same anymore. You're changing. You're growing. You're be, being conformed to the image of Jesus. And the Bible says that you show me your faith, I'll show you my faith by what I believe. And the author of James says, let me tell you about a woman named Rahab who put her faith into practice by hiding the spies with peace. So this woman, God honored, Rahab honored God by believing in God that he was the only God. And watch this. She honored God by helping God's people. She honored God by helping God's people. And in doing so, don't miss this, she even forsook her own people. She forsook the people in Jericho, Canaanites, because she honored God. At some point in your walk with Christ, especially in this multicultural, God's diverse kingdom world, you're going to be presented with some things where you may have to forsake your own to honor God. I wish I had time. You may have to forsake your own political party to honor God. The party you grew up with, Democrat, Republican, because no party represents the full interests of God. And if you're with a group that's trying to say that they are, at some point, you're going to have to choose between God and your party. That's what leaders do. But if you're a follower, you're going to stay with the crowd. At some point, as a black man, there are going to be some things about your community you're going to have to forsake as you honor God. Because just because it's black don't mean it's beautiful. Yeah. And if you're white, there's going to come a time where you're going to have to forsake people in your community to honor God and go to a church with black people led by a black man. And when we start talking about racial justice and they start saying that that's liberal and you show what the Bible says, and you get forsaken by your family. Following Jesus, man, I, I might have to leave some people behind.
Because who's my family? Those who do the will of God. <laughs> this sister said, uh, yeah, I grew up in Jericho, but I'm trying to get to heaven. And uh, <laughs> I'm making a choice. These folk know God. Anybody that know God, I'm down with you. Latino, Asian, Native American, black, Democrat, Republican, rich, poor, Chiefs fan, 49ers fan. Man, if you down with God, I'm down with you. And that may mean I got to forsake some folk. And God honored her, man. God honored her for her honoring him. And later the Bible says she went to go live with the Jews. Thirdly and finally, Rahab not only saved lives and Rahab not only um, honored God, but Rahab left a legacy as we close. She left a legacy. That's when you seize your moment. The things you do will outlive you and not only honor God, but outlive you. She's mentioned, listen to this, y'all, in Scripture. She's mentioned in Scripture eight times in the book of Joshua. And somebody may say, man, that ain't a whole lot. Is your name mentioned in Scripture? <laughs> Yeah, and think about the grace of God now. She's not Hebrew. She's not Jewish. She's a Canaanite that detests enemies of the people of God. So we see the mercy of God. And she's found eight times in the book of Joshua. She is mentioned in the New Testament in three books in the New Testament. She's found in the Gospel of Matthew. She's one of five women mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. I'll put a pin there in a moment. She's also found in the book of Hebrews. She's one of two people mentioned in the great hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. The other one is Sarah, Abraham's wife. And then we read in verse 31 of Hagar. I mean, not, not uh, Rahab. So this woman, man, what a legacy. But then she's mentioned also in the book of James. She's mentioned, as I mentioned, Eight times in Joshua. She's one of five women mentioned in Matthew. She's one of two women mentioned in Hebrews 11. And she's the only woman mentioned in the book of James. And James mentions Job and Abraham and Elijah. Of course, Jesus. And then Rahab. As an example to follow. Even with the past of harlotry. God's grace is greater than your past. God's grace is greater than your sin. And the only reason that her name is mentioned with Harlan is to show you what his grace can do. That if he can save her and use her and call her, he can do that with any of us. So let's stop making excuses. But I got to come back to this thing with Jesus because she's mentioned in the genealogy of the Son of God. As I mentioned, we're here today partially because of her. What you mean, Pastor? Well, God calls the Hebrew people to follow him. And from out of the Hebrew people will come his son, Jesus, the lion from the tribe of Judah. And so you have the line of Shem. And you have Abraham, the father. And when you go to Matthew 1 and you see the genealogy of Jesus, and, and it talks about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All these patriarchs and male leaders are mentioned. Five women are mentioned in this 42 generations leading to the Messiah. Five women. Four of them are foreigners, women of color. 
One of them is Mary, a Hebrew woman. And this woman here, Rahab, is mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. Because, because what happened? The Bible says that Rahab married a dude named Salmon. Or was it Salmon? She married a dude <laughs> named Salmon. And uh, they had a son named Boaz. Now, now, before we go there now, Salmon, according to tradition, is one of the two spies that came into the land that she hid on the roof and gave instructions and let down by the rope. So tradition says one of those two spies was a dude named Salmon. So when she comes out of her house, saved by the blood, the scarlet, she goes and lives with the Jews, she marries one of them dudes, Salmon. So if, it, if Salmon was one of the two spies, I'm sitting here thinking this. This dude is on the run. He's on the lamb. His life is in jeopardy. He can die anywhere, anytime. But he's still looking at this woman saying she look good. <laughs> you you got to understand the mind of a man. Like, <laughs> we about to die. You know, it's war. <laughs> man, I got to get her number. I got to come back through here. <laughs> they make a love connection in the midst of war. And <laughs> So you know that relationship gonna make it. It's gonna make it. So she marries a dude named Salmon. They have a son named Boaz. Boaz marries a Moabite woman named Ruth. They have a son named Obed. Obed has a son named Jesse. Jesse has a son named King David. And descended from David is the king of all kings, Jesus Christ. So God grafted a prostitute into his lineage because the people he came from like murderers and prostitutes and adulterers the people he came from are the people he came for to save he's an amazing God so be like Rahab seize your moment when it comes you ain't trying to be famous you're trying to be faithful you ain't trying to be on top. You're just trying to serve. You're just trying to honor God. You're trying to help people along the way. And when you seize your moment, because your moment is presenting itself for it to be seized, you will save lives, you will honor God, and you will leave a legacy. God used one woman doing something simple to push a nation forward into his purpose. She reminds me of another woman named Rosa Parks. Something simple, like sitting down and not getting up. Out of that, a movement was started that pushed America into its purpose to live out its creed that all men are created equal. So that simple thing that requires courage because when Rosa was sitting in the colored section, minding her business, but had determined in her mind that day, I'm not getting up. Because the rule was when the bus fills up and white people need seats, they can even go into the colored section and make black folks in the colored section get up. She was in the colored section sitting down, and they came and said, the bus is filling up, get up. And there was a man who got up, and other people got up, but she said, I'm not getting up today. 
So they stopped everything and called the police, tried to get her to move again. She didn't move. They arrested her. And just a couple of days later, a movement began. And a young preacher emerged to lead it. And we wouldn't have heard about him, MLK, Martin Luther King Jr., had it not been for a woman who resisted, who obeyed God, who was courageous in what she did, saved lives, it honored God, and it left a legacy. What's he calling you to do? Do it. Stop making excuses. Do it. Let's stand for prayer. Lord Esther didn't know that she would save a nation, but you put her in that place for a reason. Any power we have comes from you. Any promotion we have comes from you. Any influence we have comes from you. Resources we have, it comes from you. And it's not just about us. It's about how we can use what we have to help other people. Yes, our salvation is personal, but we've got to get rid of the Western mindset that Jesus is my personal Savior, but it doesn't uh, transfer into community and helping hurting people. It just can't be about us. Yes, you died for me, but you also died for my neighbor. You died for the lost. You died for the hurting. You died for the Muslim. Lord, we can lead with children because we don't know who's going to be in our Sunday school class. We might have the next Martin Luther King or Rosa Parks or Billy Graham. We don't know the next businesswoman, the next president. We might have the person who knows how to do plumbing very well and when they go into a home, they treat people with respect. Lord, show us how to lead, to seize the moment. It's there. Let us take it and watch you do great things through us and in spite of us. Lord, make disciples in Strong Tower who will make a difference. We don't want no disciples who come and just sit on a pew and then go home. Lord, we don't want them. You don't want that. You didn't go to Calvary, give your life, shed your blood, be whipped, become a curse on the cross so that we could be blessed, just so that we could accept you in our heart and go to heaven when we die. We got to help hurting people. We got to feed the hungry. We got to stand up for those, Lord, who are experiencing injustice in all of these unjust systems in our land. We got to clothe people. We got to feed folk, visit folk in prison, visit folk in the hospital who are sick. Give water in your name. We got to do more than just believe. Thank you for this woman who not only believed but put works to her faith and let these men into her home and made a deal with these men. She saved their lives, and Lord, you saved her life and her family. Lord, I pray for homes in here. I pray, Lord, for that wayward child that doesn't want to stay in the house, that's going out there, not realizing there's destruction because they don't want to submit to the Lord of the house. We pray, Lord, that you don't have to break that child. May that child be broken in your presence in his or her heart and come back to you. Come back to the house. Submit to mom. Submit to dad. Respect the parents. For any husband or wife that wants to go outside the house, Lord, I pray you bring them back to the house because that's where the covering is in the house. Blood was applied in Exodus. Blood was applied in Joshua. Blood is applied here. Lord, protect the houses. 
And anybody with a past, we all got a past. Let us get over the past. Let us stop making excuses about why you can't use us. Lord, you never call the qualified, but you qualify everybody that you call. It's not about us, it's about you. We make ourselves available. Here we are, use us, send us. And if we should happen to have some success, if we should happen to blow up, may we be quick to say, all glory goes to God. I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody who can change and save anybody. I found the bread of life. Come eat some. I found the living water. Come drink some. Oh, I just stopped by to let you know if he can touch me, he can touch you. Raise up the leaders in this house. Now, Lord, as we leave this house, but never from your presence, help us to think about what we heard. Help us to read this story. Help those of us who are men who struggle with learning something from women and about women to, to deal with our chauvinism. Help those of us who are prejudiced, who see only black people in the Bible or only white people in the Bible. Help us to see that this was a Canaanite woman in the Bible that you used, that you included in the very lineage of your son. Forgive us for judging folk. Forgive us, Lord, for leaving folk on the outside as if we somebody, we only somebody because of your grace. Yeah, yeah. Lord, I pray you do some stuff in this church that we couldn't even chronicle it if we tried. And we know you're doing some stuff, God. You're using ordinary people to reach everyday people. You're, and Lord, keep doing that. Even if I don't pat him on the back, if I don't see it, or Pastor Jerry, you see it. And we're not doing it to be seen. We're just doing it out of love and obedience. Lord, I pray for a revival in this house of serving and reaching people and, and opening up our homes. Thank you for folks in, who have adopted children. The spirit of abolition lives on. Whites who stand with blacks and stand against unjust systems. Thank you for that. Lord, I can pray a little bit today. It's all right. I can thank you a little bit today. Thank you for what's going on in this church, God. I know pastors who don't think it can happen, but it's happening here. It ain't perfect, but it's happening here. I thank you for folks who've adopted children of other ethnicities, children with special needs. I thank you. Lord, I see the kingdom in these folk. Lord, would you help them along the way? Because it ain't easy, but grace them. And finally, Lord, I pray for any and everybody in this church that's hurting in their body. Those who have to see the doctor this week. Those who are waiting for a report from the doctor. Those who need to go see a psychologist or a counselor. Lord, I pray for healing in the name of Jesus, of Nazareth, the one who works wonders. I pray, Lord, that you'll touch, heal, and deliver, and set free, and encourage that you'll bind up the brokenhearted. You were anointed to do that. Would you heal marriages? Would you heal people, Lord, who are struggling, thinking about taking their lives? Would you deliver them from that spirit of death, that spirit of fear, because you've given us power, love, and a sound mind? May they know who they are and whose they are. Set them free. Lord God, in the name of Jesus, we cast down these strongholds and any high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of Jesus. May we get to know Jesus. Because when we get in your presence, Jesus, we once were lost, but now we're found. We once were blind, but now we're sick. We're sitting at your feet, Jesus, clothed and in our right mind. Jesus, we just need you. We want you. So help this church, Lord. Thank you for formality. Thank you for planning. 
But Lord, when the spirit of Jesus tells us to pray, when he tells us to preach, when he tells us to sing, whatever we got to do, we're going to do it. Hmm. Encourage this body. I pray for the person that needs a job, person needs housing, person needs a car. Lord, I thank you that we live under an open heaven. Lord, pour out your blessing on your people that they don't have room enough to receive. And a lot of folk, we're, we're blessed because we're attached to the house. <sighs> we're, we're attached to the house, Zion, the house of God, the strong tower. There's a blessing here. So, Lord, I pray for those people that, that make excuses for not being an official member of the house of God. They're missing blessings. Not only things, but above all, community, relationships, fellowship. Let them be obedient today and say, man, I'm going to stop this. I'm joining this church. And if it's not this one, find another one, but do it. Kobe Bryant, Lord, thank you. I honor you today. Thank you, Lord, that this church puts up with my rambling. Now dismiss us, Lord. Now unto you who's able to do more than we could ever ask or imagine. It's according to the power that's working within us. To him be the glory, the majesty, the dominion in the church, both now and forevermore. And all of God's people said, amen. Stop by seek 33. Oh, man, somebody, hey, 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 they shouted, right? They shouted. Can, can we get a quick shout in? Like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me count it down first. Let me count it down first, okay? And, and, and them walls we need to fall down, them things that only God can do that we can't do, we're going to shout, okay? We need Jesus. I'm going to count it off on three. And, and you got to shout, okay? You got to shout, shout. You ready? All my introverts, you got to do it now. One, two, three, shout! Y'all go ahead before we, before we go into overtime in here. Y'all, y'all go ahead before we go into overtime. Oh, thank you. I might grab one of you singers in a minute. Oh, you better get out of here. <laughs>